Welcome to the Hashtag STRask podcast with Amy Hall and Greg Kokel. Hey, Amy. Hey, Greg. This is going to be a special episode. It is. A very special episode here it, on it is. Hashtag I'm STRask. smiling from ear to ear here. And uh, actually, you should be, you are, kind of, because uh, you're... Your contribution was so important to what we're going to talk about here today. Yes, and what we're going to talk about is your new book, Street Smarts, Using Questions to Answer Christianity's Toughest Challenges. For those viewing online and they can see the video, <laughs> Here's a copy of the book a right copy here. Of the book. And, uh, it it just came out, and so we are going to uh, talk about this book because I'm sure people will be interested, and we talk a lot about tactics and and how to respond to people. Mm -hmm. And this book is a continuation of your original tactics book. Yeah, I like to describe it for those familiar with the tactical game plan. And remember, in the tactics book, the first portion really is setting up the game plan. I call it the Colombo tactic after the infamous Lieutenant Colombo, who used questions to navigate um, in his 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 uh, criminal investigation, his murder investigation, to find the uh, to find the criminal, you know, and the bad guy, and uh, and he always came in kind of under the radar, and he was scratching his head like he didn't know what he was doing, and and asking these innocent sounding questions, but they always led to a particular end, and so that game plan is, of course, the foundation of the tactics book that many people are familiar with. That uh, actually is 14 years ago now and four years since the 10-year anniversary uh, edition came out. Um, and, uh, and, and it's been tremendously helpful as a game plan to help people. Of course, the tactics book has all the other tactics, too, like taking the roof off and just the facts, ma'am, and uh, what a friend we have in Jesus and Inside Out and Road Scholar and all the rest of them that are meant to help people in conversation. But uh, this book does something very different. It's the third use of tactics. That is the third part of the game plan, which is using questions to make a point um, on steroids, as it were. So it's it's really meant to radically expand an area that I only touch on just a little bit in the tactics book, uh, the initial one. Now, of course, in Street Smarts, in the beginning, I go back over the game plan. I talk about gardening and harvesting and the contrast between them and and uh, the reason why Christians are frightened to go into the marketplace, you know, in the streets, so to speak. So I cover all kinds of new areas uh, that aren't covered, obviously, in the original tactics book. It's a good one-two punch, but if people just got street smarts and hadn't read the tactics book, it still is a standalone piece. And this is probably the third question of Colombo is the one that people have the most trouble with, right? Because then they have to come up with something to challenge the person that they're responding to. That's right. And so that's what this will help people do, right? Yeah, this is um, the way I put it is when the first two steps are are very simple, and I describe it as people being Christians being in the shallow end of the pool because there's no risk. And uh, the first one is to gather information uh, about a person's view or about their challenge or something like that. And we're just learners at that point. What do you mean by that was the model question. Tell me more. I'm an atheist. Really? What kind of atheist are you? You know, well, the Bible's been changed. 
tell me about how that happened that you think. Uh, what do you mean by that particular challenge? Or, um, you know, belief in God is irrational. Really, what's irrational about it? Um, it's wrong for you to push your morality on me. Exactly how am I pushing my morality on you? So these are all different variations of what do you mean by that? That's our first opening question, just gathering information. And that helps people to see what a person thinks. And the second step then is is similar to it. You're, you're going to ask them questions that help you to understand why they believe what they believe. So how did you come to that conclusion? What are your reasons for that? Help me out. And so all we're doing in the first two steps is gathering intel. Very important. No risk to the Christian at all. But in the third step, we're going to use questions to make a point. Okay, and in this particular case, the point is to parry a challenge that somebody might make to Christianity or to find a weakness or a flaw and expose that in their own view, whether it's atheism or pro-choice or uh, some gender issue or something like that, all that's covered in the book. And uh, so so that's a, there's a speed bump there, okay, because you actually need to know three things. First, if you're going to use questions to expose a flaw or a weakness or parry a challenge, you have to know what the flaw or the weakness is, right? You have to know what's wrong with the challenge to be able to parry it. So that's one step. The second step is, generally, these kinds of um, characterizations when you're trying to expose a weakness or a flaw, parry a challenge, take a few steps of thinking. There's this, then there's this, then there's this, then there's this. And this is kind of the final conclusion, you know, and therefore, your view is mistaken or compromised in some way. The difficulty is it's hard to keep laying those pieces down in a row mm-hmm. without being stopped by a an aggressive challenger at every step of the way. Plus, when you do it that way, and I'll give some examples of that in a few moments, but when you do it that way, you are, you're making your own claims, which they can, as I pointed out, gainsay or disagree with, breaking up the flow of thought, um, and, um, and, and you're preaching at them, so to speak. You know, you're telling them why they're wrong. Now, in a certain sense, that's part of what we're doing here, but there is a shrewd way to do that. And that is, as people who are familiar with the game plan know, by using questions. But that introduces a new problem. You've got to know the difficulty of the challenge. You have to know the steps to get to the conclusion that the challenge is shallow or compromised. But then you have to know the questions to ask the other person to make each of the individual steps. Remember, the subtitle of Street Smarts is Using Questions to Answer. Christianity's toughest challenges. Okay, so those are three tough steps to resolve challenges that Christians are going to face. And we have, I mean, in the book, we've got all kinds of things that they're going to face. But uh, what I do in Street Smarts is provide the information for each of those steps, mm-hmm. okay? In the past, uh, Zonderman has asked me to write a basic book on apologetics, and I thought, I don't want to do that. There's a gazillion of them out there that are fabulous, so why should I write another one, you know? And then I started thinking, well, maybe I can put a twist on it and do a kind of a basic apologetics book, but from a tactical perspective Mm -hmm. and provide tactical dialogues 
that will help people with things like atheism, which I have two chapters on, problem of evil, one chapter, um, abortion, two chapters, the Bible, two chapters, one on uh, one on challenges to the Bible, like uh, alleged genocide in the Bible or slavery in the Bible, another one on science and the Bible, okay? I mean, those are areas of, of trouble that people run into. I've got two chapters on Jesus, Jesus being the only way of salvation, Jesus being the Son of God, um, and the Trinity, and those kinds of challenges that Jehovah's Witnesses raise, and so do Muslims. I also have a chapter on gender, sex, and marriage. Um, And, I mean, these are all the hot-button issues. Well, for whatever reason, this is the exact right time for this book. Because what's funny is about a few months ago, I started getting emails from people, and you know because I've sent them on to you, where they've said, Hey, do you have any resource that gives me example conversations? That's right. And I I have never gotten those questions before until recently in the last, you know, four or five months. And all of a sudden, so something's going on out there mm-hmm. that people really are asking for this kind of thing right now. Mm-hmm. So can can you give us an example of, of one of these uh these conversations. conversations sure. But let me make an observation. I think that all of these, and this was interesting because I was already committed to do the book, and we've been working on it for the last two years. So together, I mean, Amy's a tremendous, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a um, love-hate relationship. <laughs> Amy's so good, but she's so hard, you know, but she always makes me a better writer. So we've been working on it for two years, and we started recently getting these notes on. Um, so it showed us we were on the right track here with something that's marketable. But these were coming, I think, principally from people who had already read the Tactics book. Mm-hmm. And so there are examples of conversations I've had or conversations I made up for the purpose of illustrating the tactics. But there was this big thing missing that they wanted more of, and so we were in the process of doing it. So let's just take atheism for uh, for example, okay? Um, keep in, in in mind, by the way, what's what I mean by street smart. Streets is where the street is wherever you feel uncomfortable. All right, where you feel unprepared, you feel vulnerable. It, it, it could be with uh, it could be with your employer. It could be with colleagues at work. It could be with your friends. It could be with students and uh, professors. It could be with family members, where you can talk about whatever you want to talk about until you hit certain types of topics, and you know they're off limits. Our stuff, the most important thing. Then you're going to get in trouble, and you're going to get really hard pushback from people. So folks just kind of. S- Stay on the bench. They don't get involved. They don't get into the street, partly because they're frightened, which I understand entirely. I mean, the apostles were frightened. We see that in Matthew 10. Uh, Paul was frightened. Jesus had to appear to him. That was in uh, Acts um, 18. And so, uh, and encourage him. So I get that. All right. So um, let's just take atheism, for example. So an atheist might say something like, look, there's no evidence for God. Okay, now keep in mind, I know that there's evidence for God good evidence for God. I know the problem here, and I go into a lot of detail in the first part of each chapter dealing with any issue in giving the whole rationale so the reader understands the rationale. Then I show, okay, now here's how we take what we've just learned and build it into a conversation with questions. And the questions are meant to have the the person who disagrees with us put the pieces on the table that are necessary for us to take make the conclusion. And this is very important. We're actually going to enlist the skeptic as an, as an ally in defeating his own view by getting the skeptic to make common sense affirmations 
in response to my questions that lead right up to the the conclusion that his view or her view is just not solid. And incidentally, many people who've read this the tactics book, they know that what I'm after is not to close the deal. I'm just trying to um, get people thinking. The way I put it is put a stone in their shoe. Okay, I want to annoy them in a good way, right? Mm -hmm. Get them thinking. So that's all I'm doing here. So somebody says, there's no evidence for God. Okay, let me ask you a question. So I'm going to role play both sides of this. And this is all in the book. I mean, conversations like this, this specific one is in the book. There's no evidence for God. Okay, let me ask you a question. If you saw a shoe print in the sand on the beach, what would you conclude? Well, somebody had been walking there. Yeah, a person wearing shoes. Right. Would you be tempted to think that it was a freak accident of nature, or a seashell, sand, surf, all rolling around together, and that created the impression that looked like a shoe print, but wasn't? No, of course not. <laughs> Why not? Well, because nature can't create that kind of thing, first of all. And secondly, there's a, there's a better answer. I say, what's the better answer? Somebody walking on the beach. Okay. By the way, notice all common sense responses. All right. Um, let me ask you another question. All right. Let's say you found a blueprint of some sort, uh, you know, on a desk or in the trash, wherever. You, here's a blueprint. Would you be tempted to think that it was a crazy accident of ink spilled on paper and tossed around by uh, natural forces that produced what looked like a blueprint but wasn't? No, of course not, for the same reason. So, um, okay, great. Same reasons being, what? Well, na nature isn't going to do that by accident, obviously, and there's a better explanation. Somebody made the blueprint. Great. Okay, now, just pause for a moment. Notice I've asked a whole bunch of questions that relate to a design intuition, which in this concept I got from Doug Axe, but it's a very obvious one. Everybody has it. We have the ability to recognize things that are designed, that, that, take, that are not the product of chance. And so I just give a bunch of examples. Now I'm lowering the boom with the final question. Notice all these pieces are in place, and they've put them in place in response to the question. Okay. All right. So what do you make? My next question. What do you make of the human body? Oh, that evolved by chance. Do you see how silly that sounds in light of the affirmations they've already made? You know, and, and then I might add, and the DNA blueprint for the human body eats inside of each one of our cells, the DNA um, double helix and that blueprint. Oh, that evolved by chance, too. And so my final question is, why would you believe a human body evolved by chance when you can't believe a simple shoe print in the sand happened by chance? Okay, well, it's possible. Well, let's, let's just agree that it's possible. Is it the odds-on favorite? This is what I'm after, Amy. Is it the odds-on favorite? And so what I'm trying to show here, in this case with the uh, uh, design, this is a design argument. There's other kinds of arguments I could use but and, and execute the same way in, in conversation. It's, it's, it's just trying to show them that God is the best explanation for this. I could grant maybe evolution did it, chance over time, even if I were to grant that, is it the best explanation? Is it the odds-on favorite? That's the stone in the shoe. And I want to just leave it there and get let them to think think that about that. I'm not, again, not trying to close the deal. So this is an example 
of what I talk about actually briefly in uh, in the tactics book, even the 10th anniversary, I have in the first one, I have just a, couple, a paragraph. Second one, I have like uh, two or three paragraphs in the introductory material to the second edition, the 10th anniversary edition. But here in Street Smarts, I have a whole chapter just on gardening because the concept of gardening versus harvesting is so important. So let's talk about that in a second. But before we go on to that, I just want to say, just to emphasize again, so what you're doing here with each chapter is first you're explaining the topic so that people can understand it because that's key to people asking questions. Right. That's the apologetics proper side of it. Yeah. And then you're giving them questions that they can memorize or, you know, little vignettes that they can have in mind as they go into these yeah, conversations. Yeah, have in mind is better, right? Yeah. Because conversations go in different directions. That's exactly what I was going to say. You don't know where they're going to go, but as you, this is how you learn. This is how we learn how to do it. We exactly. learn it by watching how it works and then you practice and you see how it goes in different directions and you learn how to maneuver in that. But you have these starting questions that can at least get you going. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, I do want to talk a little bit about the gar- gardening versus harvesting. Mm-hmm. But before we get there, okay. I just want to say, because I know you've been talking about this, you've been speaking on this topic. How are people responding to what you're saying? Oh, they love it. They love it. And um, the response is great. I, I it's, it's really satisfying for me as a public speaker to be able to talk about tactics in general, and then especially the street smarts material, which are the tactics uh, tactical game plan applied in a very precise and uh, easy to understand way regarding specific challenges that Christians are facing now. And there's not only are there dialogues in there, there are illustrations of anecdotes, things that really happened to me where these things were in play or that happened to other people. We got a mm-hmm. call once, a, a gal said, you know, I used tactics for the very first time. And I just used the first question in tactics. You know, what do you mean by that? And here's what happened. Well, I we had a recording of that, and we got permission to use it, and we put it in the book here just to encourage people about the uh, about the the usefulness of it. it. It's it just utterly transforms. And I'm just saying this not not trying to sell a book, but because this is what people have told me. It has utterly transformed their ability to make a difference and their comfort with having conversations with other mm-hmm. people on very controversial issues. So now let's talk briefly about the gardening concept, sure. because I think that plays into this idea that people are encouraged by this and they're kind of set free to get into the yes, game a little bit. you know, that phrase set free is exactly the phrase I hear people tell me after a session when I explain the difference between gardening and harvesting. I think one of the reasons that Christians stumble, they don't get out in the street, as it were, is that they're not, not street smart. And one thing about being street smart is understanding the New Testament pattern of evangelism. Now, what I'm going to say for a lot of people is going to be really bizarre because they never thought of it this way. But there are no altar calls in the New Testament. Not in the Gospels, not in the book of Acts, nothing like that. People come forward to get baptized, but that's after they become believers, and there's no people inviting others to receive Christ as Lord and Savior and pray, and we'll pray this sinner's prayer. Now, this is a cultural adaptation that's rather recent in the last 150 years. That's it. Second Great Awakening, mid-19th century. Now, I'm not against those things, but what happens, Amy, is a lot of people think that's the only way you can do it. That's the way it's supposed to be done. 
And in fact, if you read in John chapter 4, Jesus tells the disciples after he has talked with the woman at the well there in Sychar, that they are about to reap where they did not sow. And he says, one sows, another reaps. And so he's making a distinction there between a what I call a gardening season and a harvesting season. And the simple truth is, if you don't have gardening, you're not going to have a harvest. But if you do have good gardening, the harvest largely takes care of itself. When the fruit is ripe, it falls into the basket. In a couple of weeks, I'll have my, and maybe by the time this is aired, it will have been my 50th anniversary as a Christian, the day I became a Christian. But that day, I act, I did pray with my brother to receive Christ, but he didn't challenge me. I told him I already want to become a Christian. I harvested myself. <laughs> what happened? The fruit was ripe. It just fell in a basket. The harvest is easy when the, when the, when the fruit is ripe, okay? So in the New Testament, what we have is gardening, 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 and then there's some kind of preachment of some sort, and people respond. They, they, no invitation. In fact, um, I was with Tim last weekend, and uh, Tim Barnett, Mr. B, and he was teaching on Acts chapter 17, the Areopagus and the Athenians hearing Paul. Paul went in very, very clever approach to preaching there. It's very interesting. He never mentions the good news of the gospel, yet people respond and follow him. Some, some said, I'll hear more. Some thought he was an idiot, and others followed. All he talked about was judgment. There's a man who's going to judge the world. Repent, because there's a man who's going to judge the world, having um, presented proof by raising from the dead. Okay, God, God appointed this man. And, and, and wow, and people believe. So here's the deal. If we do the gardening well and communicate the truth of the gospel, we communicate it in, in the broadest sense God's Word, and that's what was going on in the, in the, in the, in the book of Acts. They, they weren't quoting Bible verses because there weren't any New Testament Bible verses to quote. They were preaching God's Word, which was the message of truth in its various forms. There's different pieces to it. Okay, and Paul emphasized some aspects there on Mars Hill. So here's the kick, here's this shocker for me. I decided to start asking my audiences how many people who are now Christians did not become a Christian through an altar call or someone praying with them to receive Christ. Just a show of hands. The first two audiences over, and these were large audiences over one-third of the people raised their hands. The next three audiences, almost 90% of the people raised their hands and said, no one led me to Christ. In other words, they harvested themselves, if you want to put it that way, but we know that it was the Holy Spirit that harvested them. John Noyes on our team, he was an atheist, then he became a Christian. But he didn't remember when he became a Christian. He didn't know when he became Christian. He just began believing in Jesus and following Jesus based on the accurate information that he'd heard. Okay, so here's the application. My encouragement then, and this is what Street Smarts is meant to do, is to get people thinking, put the information before them, challenge their false beliefs, tell them in different ways appropriate to the circumstances what the truth is, and let God worry about the harvest. You don't have to close the deal. You don't have to challenge people to receive Christ. I mean, for that, when people think of that, 
them's fighting words in today's culture, right? And they just want to, you know, stay on the bench and not get involved at all. But remember, if there's no gardening, there's not going to be a harvest. What Street Smarts does, and the whole tactical approach, is to get more gardeners into the field in a low-key, relaxed kind of way. I teach them how to have these conversations that are really relaxed, to ask the right kind of questions, help them um, figure out where a dire- what direction that the conversations might go, other questions that will help them. And uh, this is having a powerful impact on people's lives. And just to clarify, because there could be people out there who aren't familiar with your approach. I mean, I would think most of the people listening have either read tactics or they've heard you talk about tactics, mm-hmm. so they have an idea of what's going on. But just to clarify, you're not saying that we don't we don't tell them what they need to know about the gospel. I think I don't want people to hear that you're saying they can be saved apart from the gospel. That's not what you're saying. No, not at all. Yeah, but the you're, gospel the gospel comes out. There's lots of pieces to the gospel. Right. And if we just say, well, Jesus died for your sins, we're not communicating to 99% of the people we discuss. Do we have critics or skeptics that we have conversations with? They don't know what those words mean. Right. So what you're talking about is you are you are finding a way to explain the gospel in a way that gives all of the pieces in a way people can understand by asking questions and helping them examine their assumptions and leading them to follow the evidence to the end, which That's is right. Christianity. To appeal to them. And, you know, uh, who was it? Uh, Fest, not Festus, but one of the other guys there in the book of Acts. There were three of them kind of close together. And one of them says, well, if you keep talking, you persuade me to become a Christian. That's right. Paul was just talking, talking, talking. Look at Jesus and uh, Matthew 5, 6, 7. Okay, there it is, the Sermon on the Mount. He's got a whole bunch of bad news there in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, you know. You've got to have the righteousness better than the scribes and Pharisees. Even if you, you don't commit murder, but even if you call your brother a fool, you're going to go to hell. Even if you think about uh, adultery, you're going to go to hell. That's what Jesus said. This is not good news, bad news. And you keep reading, and you're waiting, okay, where's that? But if you put your faith in me and receive me as Lord and Savior, then you'll be saved. For you. That's not in there. Now, it is in the corpus of the things that Jesus teaches, but he's focusing on one aspect there, the bad news, because he's got to let the bad news do its work among the people. Right. So there are a lot of pieces you have to put into place, and this is how you reveal the truth of each of those pieces. That's right. And they obviously have to know that Jesus died for their sins before they could be saved. So you're not denying that. I just want to make sure people hear what you're saying. Absolutely. But but sometimes we run to the end of the game. Mm And and be, look at in, in uh, is it Matthew thirteen I think where Jesus is giving the parable of the sower maybe twelve and thirteen right in there somewhere and when he gives the parable of the sower you know you put the seeds on the hard ground and you know the birds eat it away right he says here's what's going on the sower sows the seed which is the word and they do not understand it mm-hmm. so then the then the uh, the the enemy the devil can snatch the word that has been sown in their hearts, snatch it away. So I think, and then the fruit, the land that uh, or ground that bore fruit, thirty, sixty, hundredfold. He said, "Those who hear the word and understand it." So my appeal is that we slow down, and we 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 deal with people where they're at. As Paul says in Colossians 4, so you know how to respond to each person. And then give them a little here, a little there, something to chew on. And I bet you, people listening to this 
Christians listening to this podcast who had became a Christian later in life, as a teenager or a young adult or whatever, they know there was a process that in which what I'm called calling gardening was happening. A mm-hmm. little here, a little there, something to chew on. And that happened in my life too, until their fruit was ripe and then God did a work. Maybe somebody invited them to receive Christ. Maybe there was an altar call. My experience from just taking a poll of Christians in the audience is that is not the average way. That is not the standard way. Something else was going on, and the Holy Spirit drew them into the kingdom, and that was that. So I just want to say one more thing about tactics, because this is where people can misunderstand what's going on here. Tactics are not meant to hide things or manipulate people or anything like that. And sometimes when people hear the word, they immediately think, oh, you're trying to manipulate people. Mm -hmm. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. The goal of tactics is clarity and truth. That is the goal. Mm -hmm. We want people to see how we got to the conclusion that we got to. We want them to think about what their views are and evaluate them. And we want them to do that clearly. And we want them to see the truth. That is the goal of tactics. Graciously, too. And in light of what they think. So we're, like like you said, we're responding to them as human beings, as individual mm-hmm. human beings, and treating them with the dignity of recognizing where they are and what they think mm-hmm. and responding to what they actually think. And that's what tactics help people do. And what we're doing with tactics is exactly what Jesus did. And it's exactly what the apostles did. We can see it in the book of Acts, Paul's actions, it, Peter's actions, and the rest of the disciples. We see it all through the Gospels. Jesus maneuvering in sly ways. Be gentle as does, but sly as serpents. So we're being sly here. There's no manipulation. There is a little bit of like, if you get to the end of reasoning, you might call it a mic drop moment. But we're not trying to draw blood. This is not a gladiator event. We are just trying to help them to see that the conclusion that they are faced with is the one that follows the facts, and then let that sink in and let the Holy Spirit do His work. All right. Thank you, Greg, and congratulations. Thank you, Amos. It's a great book. And if you haven't read Tactics or Street Smarts, I recommend you read both. Actually, I also recommend Story of Reality. (laughs) I love all your books, Greg. All right. Well, thank you for listening. And if you'd like to send us a question, you can always send that on Twitter or X or whatever they're calling it these days with the hashtag STRask. Or you can send it through our website. Just go to our hashtag STRask podcast page and you can send us a short two sentence question and we will consider it for the show. This is Amy Hall and Greg Kokel for Stand to Reason. 